Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, got a surprise for you tonight. We've been doing a lot of Trump. <laughs> he, you know, he's covered the news for at least the last year. Every week, uh, every day. You know, the problem is every day he comes up with five new topics. And you try to address them. And then the next day he has five different topics. And you get tired of the man after a while. He's got you going crazy. And I've reached the point where I'm sick of this election. It should have been over a month ago. I think we also started a little early. So what I've done with, I write a blog, you know, every morning. I have 70,000 subscribers worldwide to the blog that I produce every morning. And uh, twice in the last week, I wrote the same thing to them as I am explaining to you. Uh, I wasn't going to talk about Donald Trump that day. And I wrote some historical stories and things like that that were of interest and said, uh, we all need a break. That's all. We need a change of pace. Well, tonight's turning into a break, a change of pace. I have some Trump things filtered in easily near the beginning. Then I completely discard him. I don't want to know him. And unless the show goes longer than I think, I'll get this. I have some items about him at the end that I will never get to. So I don't ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to sit back and enjoy whatever I'm going to talk about tonight. But I'm trying to avoid Donald Trump. We all have an election next week. Next week at this time, we may know, when I'm doing this show, we may know some states that have already closed their uh, balloting, and we will know who won the state. It's all going to be very interesting. But tonight is time off. Take a break. In doing so, we're still going to travel around the world a bit. We're going to go to Utah, Texas, Tombstone, Arizona, Dodge City, Chicago, the Crimea, and Washington, D.C. Pretty good expansion spread. I want to start with Utah. Utah is having a very difficult time with the coronavirus. They are one of those states that is surging. The virus is getting out of hand. You remember when New York City first got hit before it got everything under control? It was out of hand. They didn't even have places to put the bodies. They They were renting refrigerated tractor trailers and leaving them in the streets outside the hospitals and loading them up with bodies. Anyhow, that's the position that Utah is almost in. Uh... The hospitals have told the world that we just don't have enough ICU beds. We don't have enough medical personnel, doctors and nurses, and we don't have enough supplies. We're talking about simple things like masks. They don't have enough supplies. This has always been a problem. So what are they going to do? They've come up with a resolution as to how they're going to handle this thing. And it's a resolution that I don't like. And many of you will not like, perhaps, probably, depending on your age. They are going to determine who is admitted to the hospital to be cared for properly with machinery and everything else on age. The young will be taken in. The old will be told to go home, take an aspirin, and go to bed. I'm saying it simply. The old are going to be turned away because 
in spite of, regardless of the hospitalization, they're probably still going to die. That's the way the stats have worked out since the coronavirus has hit us. The younger are stronger, and they will survive. So those who survive have the best uh, ability, possibility of surviving, are going to get taken care of. I'm 85 years old. I think this is terrible because if Utah gets away with it, they'll do it next to Florida or someplace else. And this is all Utah can do, they're saying. And they call this, by the way, uh, rationing care. That's going to be the term you're going to hear, rationing care. I don't like it. You shouldn't like it, depending on your age. But if you're young, you still want grandpa and grandma around. Which now brings me to El Paso, Texas. Same problem. Texas is having, uh, they're getting nailed with this surge. And El Paso is in a hell is in very bad shape. Uh, in fact, the city of El Paso has issued to its, re- issued to its residents a new stay-at-home order. That's how bad things are, a new stay-at-home order. You better quarantine, folks. And uh, the, because the hospitals are overwhelmed, okay? They don't have enough beds. They don't have enough beds. That's the problem. Beds, beds, beds. They said they're going to prepare the city's convention center and set up uh, beds there to take some of the people who are affected with coronavirus. But the census, if this thing is successful in Utah, it will be done subsequently in Texas also. Donald. I'm going to talk about Donald for a moment. Donald uh, at a rally this week said, you know, he says this coronavirus thing we're rounding the corner. He's been saying, saying that for months. But he said, we're rounding the corner. We've got this thing under control. Now he says there's a surge. There's a surge every place in this country. And they're saying, oh, my God, it's getting worse. He says, but it isn't getting worse. And he says, it's because our testing now, we're perfect with testing. We have so much testing that we're discovering additional cases, more cases that we would not have discovered had we not been doing this additional testing. Well, Donald gets fact-checked, and he got fact-checked on this one. And as it turns out, there has been a 23% increase in new cases, 23% in new cases. At the same time, okay, there has only been an increase of 2% in testing only 2% in testing, which is nominal, compared to a 23% increase in coronavirus cases. So, again, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I I really don't. This guy hears something, and it sticks in his head. It could be totally wrong, but he's going to talk about it for three months because he thinks it's fact because he heard it someplace. He's bad. Okay, he's bad, he's bad, he's bad. Now... Going to talk about gunfight at O.K. Corral. We all know about O.K. Corral, Tombstone, Arizona, Wyatt Earp, okay? Uh, and there's a reason why I'm sharing this with you. It's an interesting story. It's a non-Donald Trump story. That's why. And parts of it you, you probably aren't aware of, uh, what I'm going to share with you towards the end of the story. And that's why I'm doing it. Uh, more interesting than politics tonight, as far as I'm concerned. Now, uh, 
Let me see here. Hold on with me a second. Uh, gun fight at OK Corral uh, was 10:26 October 26, 1881. October 26, 1881. Uh, Wider, his two brothers, Virgil and Morgan, and Doc Holliday, and they fought it out with the Ike Clanton gang. The Ike Clanton gang. We all know who won. Wyatt Earp side. Uh, now, the battle, the gunfight itself, 30 seconds, uh, which isn't long. Whenever we go to the movies, it takes quite a while to have the, the gun battle. But in reality, that wasn't the case. It, the, the fight, though, the, the uh, shootout at OK Corral is considered one of the greatest shootouts in the annals of the Wild West. I believe it, don't you? One of the greatest shootouts in the annals of the Wild West. Now, White Earp I'm going to chat about here for a moment, and then I'm going on to Bat Masterson. Okay, White Earp didn't spend his last days in Tombstone, didn't remain a cowboy, uh, now, remember, recall this happened in 1881. He eventually found his way somehow to Hollywood, and this was when Hollywood was swinging uh, many years after Tombstone. But he ended up in Hollywood, and he got into the he, he got into show business, though he wasn't a star, or a cowboy, or anything like that. I think he was more of an advisor. He died ultimately in 1929. While he was in Hollywood, he became good friends with a then-movie star. He was a big cowboy movie star, William Hart. I never heard of him, and I'm older than anybody, but William Hart was a star back in the teens and the 1820s. And he, he, he worked with William Hart, and he taught, and William Hart acknowledged this, he taught Hart how to quick draw because Wyatt Earp was a quick draw. Okay, now we're going to talk about, that's the story on Wyatt Earp. Ended up in Hollywood, had a good life, nice life. Everybody else died that was in the battle. He didn't, not at the time of the battle. I want to talk about Bat Masterson, another hero of the Old West. They sound like, they all sound like, I'm, the, the musical tune I get in the back of my head, it's the Lone Ranger with these guys coming down. Anyhow, Bat Masterson, uh, he was known as a killer of 26 men while he was still in his 20s. He is purported to have killed, in gunfights, 26 men. Uh, turned out it wasn't the case. As he said in his later years, he says, I only killed three people my whole life. Uh, he says, but... When this thing built up that I killed 26 people, no one was ever going to try to fight with me again. So I, I didn't tell anyone that wasn't true. It was a built-in protection, so they wouldn't engage me in a gunfight, which I could lose. All right. So that's interesting, number one. He, he had a very diversified career, Bat Masterson. Uh, he was a lawman, an Indian fighter, an Army scout, a professional gambler, and a journalist. At one time, he was sheriff of Dodge City. Now, Bat Masterson uh, 
he ended up, first of all, he ended up in Hollywood. They all got to Hollywood. And uh, he got to be very friendly in Hollywood with a young prop man by the name of Marion Morrison, later to become known as John Wayne. They were close buddies, okay? John Wayne said, okay, he based his portrayal of Western lawman on what that Masterson had had told him a lawman would act I'm sorry, not not Bat Master. Wyatt Earp would act rather. I'm sorry, Wyatt Earp would act, and he used that in his uh, in his shows. Uh, Bat Masterson. I'm sorry, I got the two guys confused there. It's easy. Bat Masterson though went on to New York, and he became a sports columnist. All right, for for a major New York newspaper for years, he was the reporter for professional fights during his sports writing career. He had done the same thing in the West when he was getting away from being a lawman and everything else. He went into journalism, did fights out there, and ended up being in New York City. And he became a major figure in New York City. Uh, you know, this is in the 1910s to 1920s, and then in the 1920s, he was a major figure, a popular man. He also became friends with Theodore Roosevelt. Somewhere along the line, I don't know where, I don't know how, they became very close buddies. And Masterson used to visit Teddy Roosevelt at the White House, visited with him many times. Now, why did I share the story? It's always nice to hear about, uh, you know, gunfight at OK Corral. But what's more interesting to learn how Wider ended his career in Hollywood uh, and how people like William Hart and John Wayne learned from these people and how Bat Masterson became a sports columnist in New York City. He became the expert on prize fighting, and he also was good friends with President Teddy Roosevelt and visited him many times in his White House. Those in the White House, those are things we never hear about. Now, this morning, this afternoon, I took a little time off, as I put it, and I watched an old movie. I told you this was going to be a movie show. I watched an old movie, a real old movie. Well, 1944 isn't real old, because I I love old movies. I hate the silent films. But when you get into 1929, 1930, 31, we're into the talkies. I enjoyed the talkies. And I love the movies made in the 1930s. Uh, they portrayed the real life of, of the country. And then I loved the 40s and 50s because of the major musicals which were made uh, during those 20 years. Well, I saw this movie in 1944. This is the Army. You know, this is the Army, Mr. Jones. And it was an Irving Berlin movie. He had written the music for it. Now, he was big, Irving Berlin. Uh, musical writer, uh, lyrics, man, etc. In this movie, and I got to tell you, it was a moving movie. Let, let me say again, I only saw it once before when, in 1945, 44, or 45, when I was 9 or 10 years old. My mother took me to the movies, and that's the movie I saw. And 
I saw it today for the second time in my life when I'm 85. Uh, and it was a pleasure watching it. George Murphy was the star of the movie. Uh, George Murphy was a popular uh, actor, and he was a star star in the 30s, 40s, and into the 50s. He also then became a United States senator watch, uh, for the state of California. Also in the movie was Ronald Reagan. Now, we've all seen a lot of Ronald Reagan movies, and here's the way they worked. He never was the star. Think about it. He was always second banana, uh, just the way it is. He was a good-looking guy. I thought he was a good actor, but he never was the star. He was second banana. Uh, and when his movie career was over, he was still relatively young, uh, he went to work. Uh, on television as the announcer for some weekly television show uh, that had to do with uh, stories of the Old West involving the desert. The show was sponsored by General Electric, and he became very friendly with General Electric. Now, prior to this show, he had been a Democrat. Once he got involved with the show and tight with the hierarchy of General Electric, he became a Republican conservative. He made the switch. And then after that, he had another job. Oh, they had a union. This doesn't fit with becoming a Republican, but the movie actor guild, he became, I think, head of that or whatever the union was for movie actors. Nobody thought much of him, uh, especially when he wanted to become a politician. Nobody thought he had that much in brains. I say this with all due respect. He was not respected as a governmental leader, as a politician, until he became governor of California. And then when he became president, they still thought when he was running, people didn't think he had it. And he was supposed to have lost the election, by the way. He won the election, and turns out he's one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Abraham Lincoln is one in my book, number one. But he stands out there with FDR. He stands out there with Lyndon Johnson, etc. He became one of our top presidents. And so I enjoyed the movie. I had seen Ronald Reagan in movies all my life. I, I, Irving Berlin songs were popular back when I was in grammar school and high school. Uh, George Murphy had watched. But there was another person in the movie, and this really blew me out. Rodney Dangerfield. It's worth seeing these whole movies, my friends. Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian, the man I spent time with at La Costa in California, like with William Holden also and Jackie Cooper. Uh, he was in the movie. And I said, can't be. He was only in the movie for 10 or 15 seconds. He was a soldier sitting uh, on some steps, smoking a big cigar, and someone said something, and the camera goes on his face and stays there for 10, 12 seconds. And he comes up with that big smile, his eyes open wide, his cheekbones go up. It was Rodney Dangerfield. I said, can't be. So after the movie was over, he had a nothing part. They didn't even have his name in the credits. He was nobody at the time. But I went back to see if it could be. And it's true. He was in the Army from 1938 to 1946. I, uh, he would have been 24 in 1944 when the movie was made. I could find no verification anywhere I looked on the Internet that he'd had this small 10-second spot 
in This is the Army. But he was there. If you get a chance, it's for free. It's for free on the Internet. Uh, this is the Army. You ought to watch it. It's emotional, too. If any of you have lived through, I lived through World War II. I was a kid, five to ten years old. But, boy, that war impacted me. I remember we were always going to the railroad station. We had relatives leaving and relatives coming back. And the station was packed. The guys were in uniforms, carrying guns. Everyone was crying. Uh, whether they were going or coming, people were crying. It was a very emotional thing, World War II. It was heavy. And so I felt emotional watching this movie today, which now brings us to... The Chicago Daily Tribune. Now, why the Chicago Daily Tribune? The Chicago Daily Tribune was one of the world's major newspapers. I don't know if they're still in business today. But the Chicago Daily Tribune was a worldwide newspaper, well-respected. Well, most of us are aware, I've discussed this on occasion also, of Harry Truman's involvement with the Chicago Daily Tribune. Truman was running against Tom Dewey for the presidency in 1948. Tom Dewey was the winner. Ain't no question he was going to win. Couldn't lose, okay? And, I mean, Trump, I'm not Trump, Truman had nothing going for him. He didn't even have money to run his campaign. It was such an embarrassment how he was treated during the campaign. Came the night of Election Day, which happened to be November 3rd, by the way, also in 1948, though, uh, came the night he went to bed thinking he had lost. The whole country went to bed thinking that uh, Truman had lost. Truman woke up. He was president. <laughs> the West came in strong for Truman, and the tide turned, and he was, he was elected president of the United States. Well, the newspaper, the Chicago Daily Tribune, got their edition for the next day out at midnight, I guess. And the headline was, and I quote, Dewey defeats Truman. What an error to make. They jumped the gun. Dewey defeats Truman. At the same time that night, uh, probably the nation's biggest radio commentator was H.B. Kaltenborn. And I can remember him saying, okay, uh, tonight, Thomas Dewey beat Harry Truman for the presidency of the United States. Well, he was wrong, too. And both the newspaper and H.B. Kaltenborn had to eat crow, and Truman made him eat crow. He was friendly with him, but he made jokes of him every time he was in their company, I remember. Now, why do I talk about that? I talked about... That election in the past, I've written about it, and most of you know about it. But the Chicago Daily Tribune made another big boo-boo, let me call it that way, which you tell your little children, a boo-boo. And it was only, let's, we're going to talk about October 27, 1941. October 27, 1941. Forty days before Pearl Harbor. 40 days before the Japanese attack on Hawaii, 40 days before December 7th. Okay, that's all. The Chicago Daily Tribune, I'm laughing. I don't know how they could be this stupid. What I'm going to share with you now is pure stupidity. Uh, they dismissed in an editorial the possibility of war with Japan. 
editorializing, and I quote, she, meaning Japan, cannot attack us. There is a military, it is a, that is a military impossibility. Even our base at Hawaii is beyond the effective striking power of her fleet. Forty days before the attack, they, they hurt us at Pearl Harbor, December 7th. They came up with this act of brilliancy. And I just wanted to share it because that's two major items they were wrong on. Both amusing, as it turns out. Uh, now, I am always thrilled by the charge of the Light Brigade. I'm going to talk about the charge of the Light Brigade. And why I've talked about it before. I've written about it. Uh, one of the greatest narrative poems ever written. Uh, and let's start this way. The Charge of the Light Brigade took place on October 25th, 1854. October 25th, 1854. Uh, the head of the brigade, it was British. This was a war between Britain and Russia the head of the British forces leading the attack I'm going to talk about was Lord James Cardigan. Remember his name because I'm going to come back to him in the end. Uh, this was part of the Crimea War. Uh, this charge took place at the Battle of Balakalva. Right? There were 600 men who rode their horses, 600 British troops who rode their horses up this hill to attack the Russian cannons on the top of the hill. Now, the hill wasn't a hill hill. It was about 45 degrees or less, but it was all uphill. On top of the hill was a line of Russian cannons. To make it even worse, to the left of the, of the hill and to the right of the hill were more Russian cannons. So these guys going up the hill to attack the, the Russians had cannon fire from the left, from the right, and coming right at them in their faces. They won the battle, by the way. 600 of them went up that hill. 400 died. Okay, it was, it, was a, it was a real act of heroism. The other thing that's interesting, they weren't even supposed to be there. It was a mix-up in the orders. They were not supposed to be the group making the attack. It was another group. Uh, they generally went in to clean up, not be the main force. But they were there. Now, news didn't travel swiftly. The battle was on October 25th. It took till December 2nd for the information to reach England. Alfred Lord Tennyson was poet, poet laureate of England. He read the newspaper article. He sat down, and his history tells us, within six minutes, wrote the great poem, one of the great poems of history, The Charge of the Light Brigade. And, what I, and the other thing about Lord Cardigan, before I get to the charge itself, was you've heard of Cardigan sweaters? He thought his men were too cold wherever he took them to fight. Uh, they had to have something under their jackets or their tunics. And he invented or had devised the cardigan sweater. It's named after him. And since that time, for many years, British soldiers wore it under their tunic. Now we get into the poem itself. I've got certain parts of it here. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. Into the valley of death rode the 600. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Cannons to the right of them. Cannons to the left of them. Uh, from the mouth of hell. Back from the mouth of hell. 
all that were left of them, left of the 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. Honor the Light Brigade, Noble 600. Terrific, absolutely terrific. Only a poet laureate could write it, and he did it in six minutes. Wild, okay? Amy Comey Barrett was sworn in by the Chief Justice this morning. She's now officially on the Supreme Court. She was sworn in last night in front of Trump in the White House with Judge Thomas, the black justice, swearing her in. That was all for show. Trump doesn't swear her in. The Chief Justice does. Judge Thomas, they had there because Trump's trying to drum up the black vote. But she's sworn in. As I've said many times on this show, as I've written, this woman is an absolute disaster. She's wrong for the Supreme Court. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with she's a ultra conservative to the right and with the fact uh, she's not a Catholic. She's been part of this group. It's a cult, uh, pride of reason or something like that. And uh, they got stupid rules and she follows them like the wife must be beholden to the husband and submit to him in all regards. I mean, this is a wacky outfit. Anyhow, I, I don't think she's right for the job. It's unfortunate she's there. She's 48 years old, and she's going to be there the rest of her life. Now, that's the show for this week. I, I hope you enjoyed. Next week we'll be talking politics, definitely. It's Election Day. Vote. Everyone vote. And I'm not going to tell you to vote for whoever you want. Vote for Joe Biden. Our country needs to be turned around. We got to go back to what we were. We have to have character. We have to believe in the better things in life and not the worst. And that's all I can tell you. So thank you again for joining me tonight. And next week's the big election night, my friends. Good night.